Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Uh, but this morning, I get to set things up a little bit, and I want to talk to you about hunger. Has anyone ever been really hungry before? I think most of you can't actually really say that, honestly. If you're in Australia, you don't get to say that you are ever hungry. You were peckish. You were probably a little bit peckish. For me, I can, I can um, say that I have been hungry. Uh, because uh, I was serving in a, na- a national service in Singapore, and as part of my training, we had to do jungle survival. And, um, and, and so they, they chuck us in the jungle for three days, um, and there was some other stuff before that. I'm just trying to remember what happened. Yeah, it was traumatic, so I had to bring this up just to tell you guys this story. <sighs> but uh, we did a couple of little exercises, and then we went into this jungle survival, and we had a team of six of us, so six blokes, like um, proper guys. And um, they put us in this team. Um, they put us in this little pocket of jungle. They gave us a few uh, things to, to build shelters and to build a fire. And then uh, we had to do some challenges to earn ourselves food, a little bit like Survivor. Uh, and so between the six of us guys, um, we won a piece of chicken, one chicken breast, one. Not each, one and one tapioca. The tapioca is about that big, so it was quite good. Um, we made a lot of soup. Oh well, tapioca water and chicken water, um, and we survived for three days. Um, so I was hungry. I, I was hungry. No, you don't get I was hungry. <laughs> I was so hungry that uh, I saw this coconut that I have no idea how long it was on the ground floor. Uh, ground four, not ground floor. It was on the ground four. See, so thinking about it, this is traumatic. But there was this coconut. And, and you know what coconut's supposed to look like? Um, you know, you normally have the green husk. Didn't have that. It was just the brown, like, bits already. And it was a little bit black. But I was hungry. And so I picked up this coconut and I told the rest of the guys, coconut. <laughs> it was like, stay here. And, um, and, and, and so I got this coconut and I realized that even though it looked like it was quite old, it wasn't openable yet. And we weren't given like this big like knife to, to hack at it. And so I got my little trusty pocket knife that the army gave to us and I tried to kind of scratch it open and it wasn't working. And so I, I, I reached into my memory and I remember watching some, I don't know, TV show. Um, and so I got a big stick, chucked it in the ground and I started to make a bit of a steak on it. And then I started bashing this coconut on it. And, um, and most of the other, the other five guys, they were so weak with hunger that they were just like, stop it, you're wasting your time, you're wasting it. I'm like, I'm getting my coconut. I'm hungry and I want my coconut. And so I started bashing on it, bashing on it. I don't know how long it took me, uh, first shaving the steak and making it nice and sharp and then bashing this coconut on it uh, in my semi-delirious state. And I finally got it to break open. I, I broke it open and the juice started pouring out and I started to drink of this amazing, the sweetest coconut water I've ever tasted. The other five guys, they saw it and they all found the energy to finally join me. You know what it's like, right? You know, you do all the effort and then someone else profits off it. But we were a team, we were mates and so we shared it. We finally got the whole coconut opened up. We were expecting flesh. The flesh was completely dried up. You know like desiccated coconut? It was already like that. 
but yet that coconut was the best coconut I have ever tasted in my whole flipping life. It was amazing. I did not care if I saw a worm in it, if I saw, no, it was still the best coconut. I did not see a worm in it. I'm still alive. That was uh, 10 years ago, more than that as far as I remember. But there's something about hunger that drives you. Another thing that we did over those three days, because we didn't have much to do, they just chucked us in the jungle to see how we would survive out there. And so uh, we had lots of time to talk. And um, when six guys who are hungry get gathered together with no access to food, what do you talk about? Food. We talked and talked about what foods we would eat the moment we got out of this um, training. And, and uh, I love KFC, um, and, and so I said, I'm going to get KFC. And, um, and I, you, can, you can see I, I'm yellow on the outside, but I'm white on the inside. I like my KFC, I like fried chicken, steak, that kind of stuff. The rest of my team, they were super Asians, and so they were all going for dim sum after. And, and so I said, so be it, you go do your dim sum, I'll do my KFC. And um, sure enough, uh, once it was done, I went to a KFC. And I had an amazing KFC meal. It was, it was heaven for my stomach. It, it was just simply amazing. There's something about hunger that drives you towards a certain object, isn't it? When you are hungry, it feels like just one taste of that thing uh, will, will be enough. Just one taste of that item would be enough. And, um, and there's something about hunger that I think as Christians we need to stir up. There's something about hunger that we need to have towards God. In um, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, uh, Paul tells the Corinthian church, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The Bible tells us very clearly that we are to eagerly desire. We are to hunger after the spiritual things that God has for us. And there's this hunger that we need to have. Can you imagine, right, that I finished this uh, jungle training and I had set my mind. I had eagerly desired fried chicken. For three days, I was hungering after this fried chicken. Imagine if I went to the KFC. And I said, I want a bucket of fried chicken. And they said, oh, sorry, sir, we've, um, we've run out of chicken. <laughs> what would I have done? I would have gone back to my army base, checked out my rifle, <laughs> and tell them, you cook me a chicken now before something bad happens. Imagine going to a fish and chip shop, and they say, we're out of fish. Imagine going to a uh, vegetarian pizza shop and they've run out of veggies. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to be inclusive here. I don't know what you guys do. A tofu shop and they've run out of um, tofu. But can you just imagine what it's like? And I wonder whether some of us have this kind of impression of God. God says, eagerly desire the things of the Spirit, but some of us treat Him like the shop's closed. Some of us treat him like he doesn't have enough. My family went to Bali a few years ago, and I remember we went to this shop. We had enough of the rice stuff because we are all really white on the inside. And, and, and so we went to this western shop, and we went there, and we all had our favorite juices. When you go to Bali, fruit juice is like one of the best things. It's fresh. It's just so like 
quenching, you know, it's hot, it's gross. And we all had, we all had our favorite juices. And so we all ordered, I think there were like three banana milkshakes, a couple of watermelon juices. And, and the waiter came back and he, <laughs> he actually said, oh, sorry, we've only got like one banana. <laughs> just like, like, what? <laughs> one banana. So, okay, okay. And we ordered our mains as well. I think we all wanted like fish and chips or something. And he came back and I think he said something like, we've only got one fish <laughs> we, we just went, this shop is like, I really worried about eating it. And so we left. And I'm wondering whether some of us have left God's shop. I'm wondering whether some of us have um, taken this verse and go, that's for someone else. I'm okay. I'm satisfied. I don't need this. Because I started to look into this verse and I started to look into what it means to eagerly desire, to eagerly desire. And, and I wanted to get behind uh, the original word picture that was being painted because a lot of words have a word picture behind it. And, and so uh, eagerly desire has this connotation of heated water. There's this sense of it's bubbling up. There's this, like, there's this heat. There's this turmoil. There's this like uh, hot hotness about it but then it goes on to say the word picture for eagerly desire is this to exert oneself for one that he may not be torn from me and then the other one is to desire one earnestly to strive after and to busy oneself about him this is from a bible dictionary I did not write this, and so it's a little bit interesting, but when you look at it, there's almost this, this, this consuming desire. And maybe to give you a sense of, uh, of that, uh, 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 there was a time in my life that I'm not proud of that I rediscovered uh, earlier this year. We were uh, uh, packing up our house and getting ready to move, and, and I came across a whole bunch of old diaries. And uh, I set up my journals when I was younger because I wanted to record the things that God was speaking to me in my life because I was like, cool, I can look back and see the journey of my life and all of that. So I started flicking through and um, it was not nice. It was a terrible bunch of books that are now, I hope, like, it's got more use in a landfill than in my life. So it's gone. You will never read it. I hope that no one will ever read it. But there was an eager desire inside of my soul. And that eager desire was for a relationship. And so page after page was my analysis of the current girl that I was liking. The way she flicked her hair. <laughs> the words that she had spoken. The, the way that her eyes moved. <laughs> the words that she had said. I made sure I recorded every word that she said to me every text message, page after page. I was like, where was God? Literally, I was like, God was in the prayer at the end of the journal entry saying, God, please let her be mine. <laughs> God was relegated to a footnote while this hunger consumed me. When was the last time you had God consume your thoughts? That, that, that if you had to look into the diary of your mind, the journal of your mind, it was like page after page of like, and then God did this. And God said that and, and God looked at me this way and, and he, he, he was calling me and he was he's doing something amazing in me. When was the last time you exerted yourself in order to be in God's presence? 
When was the last time you exerted yourself in order to grab a hold of God? When was the last time you consumed yourself with God? Because there's this thing about hunger that is very non-discriminatory. Our hunger is very much dependent on the appetites that we awaken. When a child is born, you feed them really bland stuff because their taste buds are super sensitive. And so they only need like bland porridge. They just need like bland, you don't, you don't give them much stuff. But over time as they develop, if you're not careful and you give them sugars too early, their appetite will be awoken towards sugar. Suddenly, the bland stuff doesn't matter anymore. The bland stuff is more nutritious, but we don't want that anymore. See, our hunger is not discriminatory. Our hunger doesn't determine what we're supposed to eat and what we're supposed to consume. Our hunger is simply awoken by appetites that you have exposed yourself to. And our world that we live in nowadays has awakened plenty of different appetites. Technology enables us to get in touch with appetites that previously used to be really hard to fulfill. But now you can travel around the world. You can taste different foods. You know, when Beck and I first started dating, we just ate simple food. We, we went to food courts. Now food courts are like peasant food. <laughs> Who would eat that stuff? Like, I want to go to that Mexican restaurant to taste that authentic Mexican chef. If he speaks Chinese, he's not good enough. I want to find a Mexican chef that can fulfill that appetite because I'm hungering for some Mexican food. You know what I mean? We grow up and our appetites change and it, it then dictates our hunger. When I was going through that three days of torture and I wanted to have KFC, did my mind say that greasy food is not good for your stomach? No, it was fried chicken. Tasty, juicy, amazing, slightly spicy, always crunchy fried chicken. Anyone hungering for KFC right now? I have awoken an appetite that I'm going to have to rein in now. I want that. And when it comes to our lives, I have learned something. I have learned that hunger needs to serve me. Hunger needs to serve me. Hunger, no, you need to get this. I don't serve my hunger. My hunger serves me. There is something about a disciplined hunger that we need to learn, church. In a world where any appetite is easily awakened, in a world where the culture is, if you hunger for it, go after it. So many of us are turning down blind alleys. So many of us uh, are going down uh, uh, slippery slopes because our hunger has been awoken to something else. You know, debates about drugs tend to be about gateway drugs. It tends to be about those things. How do they get in it? You don't get into the hard drugs right at the start, but your appetite gets awoken by a gateway drug, a soft drug. You take that a little bit, and, then, and, then, and it starts on a little path. You know, a little bit of alcohol is... It's fine. Supposedly, according to the science, alcohol is okay, but then you get your taste, your appetite awoken, and then you want more, and you want more, and you want more, and then suddenly it becomes a habit, and it becomes a ravenous hunger that cannot be uh, controlled, and, and suddenly you're down the slope. It isn't just about food and things that you can physically consume. What about love? You've grown up without any love from your family, 
from your parents, you, you've grown up in a, in a situation where you were rejected maybe, and, and you always carried that in your heart. And, and I, I heard one preacher saying once, and I, it really stuck with me, but he, he said you can always understand a, a person chasing after love because bad love is better than no love at all. Bad love is better than no love at all. You see, our hunger doesn't discriminate. Our hunger doesn't tell us whether something is good or not. Our hunger is simply uh, showing us that there's a void in our lives. And what we need to do as Christians is to discipline that hunger and to eagerly desire, to eagerly desire the things of God, to eagerly desire the things that God has already uh, got in store for us. That's what tonight is about. It's to awaken a hunger. Maybe there's so many confusing different appetites in your life and you're wondering, how do I get to a place of wholeness and health? How do I get to a place of purpose and destiny? How do I get that clarity? Well, it's seeking after God. And that's why we're setting aside time. Every year we set aside this time to anoint people and to pray for them. Why? Because there's a clarity that happens. There's a clarifying that takes place. And there's an ability to discipline the hunger in your life to chase after more important things. The Bible gives us a really good a story about a man who had a disciplined hunger. And so we're going to be looking in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it starts in verse 19 and it says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, I love this story. But when I look at it, there's a few elements of it that, um, that surprised me, I guess, that, that, that kind of stand out to me. And a part of it is this. Imagine that this is Elijah's cloak. It's very Israeli. It's got the right colors. And imagine Elijah was, Elijah had been told by God that Elisha was meant to be his protege. He was supposed to train him up. And Elijah comes, and he comes, Beg's going to be Elisha. Too bad. So imagine you're plowing some, with some oxen. Just go, go that way. <laughs> Slowly. Take it slow. I don't want to chase after you too much. So imagine I'm Elijah, and Elisha's doing Elisha's thing. He, he's plowing the field with his oxen. And Elijah comes. He takes his cloak. Elisha probably hasn't spotted him. It was loud, noisy, and smelly because of the cows. And uh, Elijah does, does this. And then he walks away. That was it. Elijah didn't take any time to go, God said to me, this is what your life is going to look like. He, he threw the cloak and then he walked off. And this cloak, thanks, Beck. Give it up for Beck, Elisha. <laughs> By the way, Elisha was a bold man. <laughs> Couldn't be more far from the truth. But there's something about this story when you read through it. In the whole of chapter 19, a little bit of ch uh, chapter 18, I believe, you can read Elijah's story. At that time, he had done some crazy stuff, uh, but he was also running for his life, and he was probably in the wilderness for maybe a month. I don't think he had any showers. 
I don't think he had any uh, uh, time to do laundry. And the cloak, being in the wilderness, was on his back 24-7. It protected him from the sun during the day, and it protected him from the cold during the night. So he walked around in it while he was in the wilderness, collected a whole bunch of dust on it, and then uh, he sweated into it, and then he slept in it, and then he took this, and he threw it on Elisha. <laughs> what? Couldn't he have, like, got, like, a sash that said, Next Prophet of Israel? He took this smelly, stinking cloak, threw it over Elisha, and Elisha didn't say a word. And Elisha was like, give me more of that. Why? What was going on? And I started to dig a little bit deeper. Do you want to know what's going on? Have I woken your hunger to know more about what's going on? You see, prophets in those days, they wore a special cloak. It was a symbol of their office. It was a symbol of where they stood in society. And so prophets, priests, kings, all had a different kind of wardrobe to signify the difference. And when a prophet would take his cloak and place it on another person, it was a sign that it was you are coming to serve and learn under me so that you can take this on, this offers on. You see, when... When Elijah was, um, was coming to Elisha, there's this, there's this chance that there weren't many prophets left in Israel at that time. There's a chance that Elisha immediately would have seen that cloak and gone, that's a prophet's cloak. This is a prophet's office. And there's something about that moment that immediately stood out to Elisha. You see, I believe that Elisha had a hunger for more of God. I believe that he was living a life, and in the middle of that life, he was going, there's something more for me. There is something more for me. But you've got to understand that there's another layer to this. That, that's, that's Elijah's side. Where, where was Elisha? We don't know much about Elisha before then, but in this passage alone, it shows us a few clues. Elisha was plowing a field with 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 bulls. And it, if you imagine, uh, it, it was a big piece of land. He was a rich landowner if he needed 12 a yoke of oxen to plow the fields. And in, that, in, the, in those days, you don't plow all your fields. You, you plow half of them and you leave half of them fallow. And then you, so he had plenty of land and he also had 24 head of oxen. He was a rich, 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 rich man. He was a man of stature. He was a man of comfort. He was a man of, of, of high standing in, in those days. And you might go, yeah, but prophet's pretty cool. Businessman, farmer, prophet. Oh, prophet's cool. No, prophet wasn't cool. Prophet in those days was seen as troublemakers of Israel. Prophets in those days had a bounty on their head. Prophets who dared to speak the word of God in those days were hunted down by the king and queen of Israel. Elisha in the midst of doing his normal, comfortable work, had Elijah placed a cloak, uh, a new office, a new mantle upon his shoulders, but it wasn't something that was necessarily easy to see that's a step up. It was actually a step into possible death. 
It was a step away from comfort, knowing that tomorrow is going to be taken care of, knowing that my future is going to be okay, knowing my kids are going to be okay, knowing that all of that's made certain because of my current stature and my current position. And you want me to take your stinking cloak. You want me to follow you around even though you have no place to lay your head. You want me to put my life at risk. See, hunger is not discriminatory, but a disciplined hunger is. A disciplined hunger that Elisha had. He saw what he had, but he knew that that wasn't good enough. He knew that that was not ever going to properly satisfy. There was something in him that said, God, I know that you have created me for more. I believe that God has put that hunger in every single person. I believe that God is calling you to something more. The Bible gives us reference after reference that God has got more in store for you than you could ever imagine. God has got plans to prosper you. God has got plans to give you a hope and a future. God has got, 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 got a plan and a mission for your life. And, and God's got your eternity sorted. There's all of those things. But, but, but sometimes you're going to have to recognize that where we're at right now is not good enough. Where we're at right now is not the end point. It's not the end goal. It's not where I'm going to finish up. This is just a place that I at right not right now, but when the office and then something new, when the anointing of God is placed on my shoulders, I want to recognize it. How easy would it have been for Elisha to go take your stinking thing and run out of here as fast as you can because I've got my life sorted. If you're going to come with that kind of attitude to the anointing service tonight, don't come. Honestly, stay home, watch the World Cup. Even though all the good teams are gone. Stay comfortable. But let me tell you, there's a hunger inside of you that's gone. This is good, but there's more. Then perhaps you need to be more sensitive and more disciplined to listen out because sometimes the cold doesn't look that great. Sometimes the next season doesn't come wrapped in gold ribbon. It comes in the form of a month-old stinky cloak but it represents an office. It represents a new place that God is taking you. Can I also just take an aside right now and go, do you know, I believe that Elisha already had that hunger. He already knew that God was calling him to something more. But what was he doing when Elijah found him? He had 12 pair of oxen. He had plenty of land and he could probably hire any servant that he wanted to. But what was he doing? He was driving the 12 pair of oxen. There is something about a person that understands that their life is meant for more, but they're still responsible with their now. There's something beautiful and attractive about a person uh, that, that knows that God has placed something more on their life. God's called them to more, but they still know how to look after the everyday today. 
There is something about a person that is not standing idle and whinging about their situation and whinging about how God hasn't done enough in my life and God has not given me opportunity. I'm saying this because I've been there where I thought, God, I've been serving my butt off uh, under this pastor so-and-so and they are not looking at me right. They haven't seen that I've got more potential in me. And I started whinging and then God was just telling me, you need to learn how to be responsible with your now while I'm preparing you for your future. So young person, don't get discouraged where you're at. At the right time, the door will open. But the door will open at the right time. And the right time is when you understand how to be right with where you're at right now. If you're a single person, God's got something great for you in your future. But learn how to steward your single season. Business person, Maybe God's got ideas and things that He's placed in your heart. But until that day comes, until you know the clarity and the next steps, the steps that you need to take, work well, serve your boss well, serve under the company that you're in well. Young person or maybe older person that's got a desire to serve in the church well, serve right now. Learn how to put out those chairs. Learn how to put them away. Learn how to serve where you need to serve. I've been in every department, including the women's ministry in church. Serving coffees and teas, not teaching women how to live. I put out tables for every department in church, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter how young, no matter how old, I've been there. Why? Because God needed to teach me how to serve before I could lead. So work your butt off right now because you've still got time. God's got something big for you, I guarantee it. But don't be a person that has got your 12 pair of oxen all lined up and you're just waiting for the next thing to happen. Work it. Work your current season. Do something with it because God's got something for you that is about to come. But there's something interesting that happens next. Elisha recognizes the call of God on his life, recognizes this new season that's about to come to him. And he runs after Elijah, who hasn't said anything to him, by the way. And he says to Elijah, let me go back, kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. And Elijah's response uh, uh, took me aback a little bit. Because Elijah said, go back, what have I done to you? And I'm kind of like, what's this grumpy old man? You just put this stinky cloak on someone else and then you just tell them off. What's with you? Well, I don't think we caught, in our English language, we catch what is going on there. Some scholars, um, the scholars came to this thought that Elijah wanted to ensure that Elisha was the one that made the choice to leave. Elijah didn't tell Elisha, what he was needing to do next, he simply gave him a taste of the future. And then it was in Elisha's hands for what he was going to choose to do next. This is really important. See, the call of God has already come to some of you guys. But it didn't come with an instruction manual. It came with a tug on your heart. I said, this is what is available And then it's like, what are you going to do to chase after it? Are you going to discipline your hunger? Or are you just going to live normal? Elijah didn't tell Elisha what his new life was going to look like. Elisha had to count the cost for himself. And so Elisha, he goes back home. He takes that pair of oxen that he had, slaughters them, takes the yoke that he had been using, breaks it up, 
cooks up two oxen. He didn't just say bye to his mom and dad. He cooked up a feast. Can you imagine cooking two full cows? I, I knew a, a guy from the country, and he said that one cow would feed a family of four for something like six months. He cooked up two full cows. It was his goodbye call. What are you willing to leave fully? No one's going to tell you. I don't want to tell you what you have to leave. If I have to tell you the cost, you're never going to own it. The number of people that tell me that they want to serve God, and it's kind of like that meatloaf song, I will do anything, but I won't do that. I'll do anything for you, God. I won't do that. You know, we used to sing this song, Send Me, I'll Go. We used to sing songs like, I'll Surrender All. And we would sing it with gusto. But then there was always a preacher that would come around and burst our little emotional bubble and say, are you really going to, are you really going to give it all up? To some extent, I've still got lots of things to let go of. I love lived and I believe in his call and his vision, but sometimes I've got to leave some of those dreams to deal with the reality of where things are at right now. I wish I was serving a church of 5,000. I'll be honest, that would be cool. They will leave me with lots of stuff that I can do. We would set up campuses all across the world. I get to travel. I don't have to do any pastoral care. <laughs> I'll be able to do the things that I feel God's called me to. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy if God leaves me with you guys. If that's what it is. If that's all it is. No, no, you've got to hear me. Some of you want that big stuff, but you're not happy to go through the grind. Some of you, the thing that you're leaving is not necessarily in the past. Your head is all the way 20 years in the future. You've got 20 years of living to go through, 20 years of growing, 20 years of the grind, 20 years of getting yourself ready for more. There are things that we all have to let go of, and God has already impressed that on your heart. Some of you have to leave certain habits. Some of you have to leave certain mindsets. Some of you have to leave certain things that held you back. Some of you have to leave certain rights. By leaving his family, Elisha was saying, I'm no longer a rich man. I'm fully dependent on God. I can't depend on my resources, on my family, my past. I left that. I'm doing this. To receive the call of God, to have a disciplined hunger towards the things of God, there's always a cost. Jesus said to people who wanted to follow him, you count the cost. You count the cost. You count the cost. What are you counting today? Some of you have got stuff to let go of. All of us have got stuff to let go of. Don't wait too long for that. Elisha, he, he honored his past, which I think was absolutely beautiful. He didn't just up and go. He actually did a feast probably used that moment to honor his parents, honor his past. Absolutely beautiful. Before he followed Elijah.
And then the next line says, he left all of that and he became the greatest prophet in all of Israel. No, it didn't. It's testing you guys out. How are you still looking at me completely blank? I'm sweating up here, by the way. It says he left everything and became a servant. Hunger doesn't discriminate. I can imagine this hunger, even for God, saying, I want all this stuff. Elijah's done this. When are you giving me this office? When are you going to let me go? When are you going to set me up? When are you going to send me off? No, no, Elisha didn't do any of those things. His hunger was set solely on God, God's timing, what God is wanting to do. You know, there's this thought that I was surprised at how it surprised someone. And uh, he said, this person was talking to me and he was saying, you know, I've sacrificed this, I've done this for God, I've done this for God. Where's God and all this, da, da, da. And then I just, I don't know, I think the Holy Spirit just put in my heart, God never asks for your sacrifice. He only asks for your obedience. In 1 Samuel it says, God desires obedience over sacrifice. Sometimes your obedience will be a sacrifice. Sometimes obedience is amazing. I'm living an amazing life. I'm living in obedience, and therefore I'm living in amazing. And sometimes my obedience also requires a sacrifice. A disciplined hunger understands obedience. A disciplined hunger understands journey. A disciplined hunger understands I'm in it for the long term. A disciplined hunger understands that, that, that God's always got better plans than I do. That I'm not going to try to make things happen in my own time. I'm going to be obedient to the call of God and to how God is working this out. Church, we need to have a disciplined hunger. We need to have a disciplined hunger. Not a hunger that just chases after appetites and what next. We need a hunger that chases after God. What He's got for us. What's next in God's heart. That's really what is for us. I believe that tonight there will be some cloak handing over moments. I believe it. I believe that there are going to be some amazing things. I, I believe that some of you are going to be encouraged that where you're at right now is good enough. It's still part of God's plan. The next step hasn't come yet. How are you going to respond to that? I don't know how long Elisha was plowing those fields for, hoping for a prophet to come by and chuck a nasty cloak on him. It might have been decades. I believe that some of you are going to get a sense that there are things that you need to leave behind in order to chase what God has got for you. A disciplined hunger is the common denominator of a person that pursues after the things of God and grabs a hold of it. Sometimes we made a hunger for God just sound so super spiro and so I need to be falling onto my back and giggling in laughter. I need God to be doing, no. What if the word that you get tonight isn't sexy? 
What a word tonight is a... It's a little bit mundane. What the word tonight is, wait. Are you going to be happy with that? Half of you don't want to come tonight. (laughs) Don't want anyone to tell me I've got to wait. What I'm trying to impress on you is, is just simply this. Do you have a hunger that just chases after appetites or do you have a hunger that is disciplined to chase after what is important? A disciplined hunger prioritizes the Word of God over anything else. Let me just leave you with this thought. God knows best. You might think that you're waiting. You might think that you've been waiting for so long. You might think that you haven't got where you need to be and you think that God has forgotten you. God's still got the best plan. When I look back at my life at the times of great impatience, and I mean great impatience, I look back and go, why was I so impatient? I look at the times that God was training me even though I didn't know it. I look at the times of, of, of coming under someone else's authority and, and serving. I was a servant for a long time, or that's what I thought. And I look back and I go, really? That wasn't even that long. See, our hunger doesn't have perspective. Our hunger doesn't understand the big picture. Our hunger brings us into this moment, but a disciplined hunger can. A disciplined hunger can go, God's more important. And if He says this is where you're at right now and that's good, that's good. Take courage. There's great grace in staying that cause, in persevering. There's great fruit in just staying and being in the moment. You know, this message is not turning out the way I thought it would be. (laughs) Just being honest, I'm just going with it. Because I think that someone needs to hear this. I honestly think that there's some people here that say, Oh God, why? And it's like, God's like, I'm right here. I've got you where I've got you for a reason. That struggle right now, you need that. It's making you stronger. You don't know it. That resistance is making you tougher. You know, leading a church of 70 to, I don't know how many are here today, maybe 80, 90 people, it's already showing me that any more people when it's a little bit beyond me. And so there's a stretch this season if I want the more that God has for me. So can I just encourage you, follow God. Have a hunger for the things of God. Don't have a hunger for ambition. Don't have a hunger for, for all of these things that don't matter. Have a hunger for God. When you come tonight, can I ask you to come with a sense of, God, you speak. I want to see your heart. I want to know your heart. I want to be energized in my life. If there are steps of faith to take, if there are sacrifices to be made, fantastic. But if not, if it's still, you're calling me to just be responsible with my everyday, that's cool. I just want to know what you're saying for me right now. And I'm going to live it. That's a disciplined hunger. A disciplined hunger will take you very far. I'm learning in my life that I wish that when I was younger, I was more disciplined in my hunger. You see, your hunger always determines your behavior. 
My hunger for fried chicken led me to a KFC. My hunger for relationships led me to obsess about girls. So much time wasted chasing things that don't matter. I'm learning right now. I'm chasing after God. I'm chasing after God. There's a hunger. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire. Grab a hold of, exert myself in order to grab a hold of the things of God. I'm not letting it go. I am busying myself about the work of God, whatever it looks like right now, because it's building towards my future. If I can get the band up this morning. Can we just stand this morning, church? Why should I hunger after God? Perhaps some of you are asking that. Why? Because God's hunger was for us. God didn't need us. He didn't need you. Sorry if you didn't want to hear that. But God's God. If you want to restart, create a whole new humanity, one that would always serve Him, He could have. But He chose to allow time to pass so that you would be created. He saw you. And He went, My child... I hunger after you. you know, some people talk about the passion of Christ. It wasn't just some kind of hot emotion. It demonstrates a God that eagerly desired you so that He would take the cross in your place to put you in right standing again so that you've got a life that you can live, that can be meaningful, that can be purposeful, and that you can spend eternity with God. God eagerly desired you. I'm so glad I serve a God who's not distant. I'm so glad I don't serve a God who, who never demonstrated His love for me. I'm so glad that I, that I follow a God who, who, who walks the walk has already walked the walk. So this morning, I want to give you a chance. There might be some of you in this room right now. Maybe you've walked away from God or maybe you've never, ever allowed God into your life and you're wondering what this whole God thing is about. But you're here because there's something inside of you that says there must be something more. There must be something more. There is a hunger inside of you that has been awakened. And I, let me just say, I believe that it's God. I believe that it's God saying, come home, child, because I've got so much more for you. I have got love eternal. I have got grace sufficient. I have got strength where you are weak. I have got mercy. Uh, when justice has been called, I have shown you mercy. I have given you everything that you need. So right now I'm going to say a prayer and if everyone can repeat this after me, uh, and if this is you and you want to come back to God, say this prayer and mean it in your heart. 
I believe that something, that, you, that this is the moment where you can start your relationship with God. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short, but I invite you into my life. Come live in me. Wash me clean and make me whole. I want to hunger after you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.